the reason why I've liked podcasting and I've stuck with it, and I, I'm a big believer that, uh, it, you know, everyone needs a podcast at some point uh, in their journey because it's such a great way to have a human conversation because all the white papers, even all the presentations and the, the trade shows, they're all important and we should continue to do those. But to be able to have a human conversation like we're doing now and have people literally be in the ear of people who are interested and subscribe and want to come back every week to hear what you have to say, not because you're trying to flog something or sell something, but because it's genuinely uh, of interest and it covers multiple different areas and they get to understand you a bit more. It's super powerful. And I don't know another platform that, that does something like that. Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators reimagining the future of health. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. My guest today is Peter Birch, the founder and host of the podcast, Talking Health Tech. I wanted to dial Peter up because he hails from Australia, and over the course of producing some 240 episodes of his podcast, he's gained a unique perspective on his healthcare ecosystem. He's seen what works, what doesn't, what's profitable, what's a waste of time. Plus, in our conversation, he'll talk about what it takes for a foreign company to make inroads in the Australian market. Of course, it's not just about Australia, as the health tech ecosystem we'll discuss is a gateway to collaborations in Asia more broadly. Peter is a wealth of information, both about Australian health innovation, but also the industry more broadly, and he's a fantastic connector and collaborator. I think you'll get a lot out of the interview. Stick around. Peter Birch from Talking Health Tech, thank you so much for joining me on Startup Health Now. Logan, thanks so much for having me. I am excited to talk to you on multiple levels. Uh, you have this great podcast and I want to learn about kind of your process and kind of what you've learned through that. You are operating in Australia. We're going to talk about that, the uniqueness of that market, what you've learned, uh, and then anything else that pops up because uh, I know you are well-versed on a lot of topics. So let's start with you and a bit of your bio. How did you get into Talking Health Tech? Sure thing. So all of my career, I've been involved in healthcare in one way or another, but mostly from operations and general management, from mostly from an operations and general management perspective. So, you know, leaving all my education, got a job at a, a call center in the healthcare environment, more in the emergency assistance side of things, um, m kind of as a thing, you know, to see me over the holiday break and then I'll get back to, you know, what I was studying. In the end, I stayed at that organization for nine years and learned a lot about healthcare, fully immersed in it, loved working with clinicians and people that are passionate about healthcare. That really got me um, interested in the space. I Interestingly, through that whole process, I started dabbling with community radio. So I'm starting to mention both of my worlds kind of combining here. But back mm. in the day doing community radio, um, you know, doing night shifts at, at the, the studio where no one listens, but you have a good time and you go out on the airwaves. So, so continue working through healthcare. I started managing bricks and mortar clinics for larger organizations here in Australia. And that was really interesting, the understanding the logistics of uh, running clinics with practice managers and all the technology challenges that you have around that. And then I uh, left that world and went into the startup health tech life. And that was where I worked for a cloud-based practice management system. And I was one of the first employees to help not just build up the team, but also help the founders understand product market fit and work out where it fits within the whole world. And there's the number of pivots that you do that everyone's well familiar with is you've got a great product, but you know, where does it fit within this organization right. and understanding the problem you're solving, et cetera. So I was 
deeply immersed in all of that and, and really getting a good handle of the Australian healthcare landscape. And through that process, I'm like, oh, geez, I feel like I'm I'm doing things that many others would have done before. So I did a lot of, you know, hey, can I chat with you about this and, and blah, blah, blah to, to fellow colleagues and people involved. And you realize everyone's trying to do the same thing, but no one's really kind of sharing this this knowledge or at least where I was, you know, dabbling in. So I felt, hey, maybe I can pull on some of my own experiences. I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time uh, to get a good understanding of digital health. And there were some great podcasts like your own and other ones as well that existed, which are more about digital health and health technology, but in a global sense. But mm. in Australia, it, it's similar but different, right? So um, I was like, oh, look, there's there's a lot of good conversations that we could have that are to help people understand the Australian landscape a little bit more, things that I've already picked up, but also things I want to learn and I could learn along with people. So maybe yeah. I'll just do 10 episodes and see what happens. And I had a good network at the time and some really receptive guests. And those guests from, you know, episodes zero to 20, even beyond, they were good advocates for what we did. And I think it just, the, it, it, it it hit a chord with a lot of people. This is back in 2018, 2019. Yeah. How many episodes have you done in total? And now is to, at the time of this recording, 230 something. So oh. I think we've recorded 240, but um, yeah, it's now we do two episodes a week and it's my full-time thing. So talking yeah. health tech, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's grown from this little side thing that I did whilst, you know, trying to try to understand the landscape. And now it's a um, podcast. And did you, did you think when you started that it would become your full-time job? by this point if i told my wife that i'm planning on making podcasting my full-time job then she would no longer be my wife so there was no intentions whatsoever at one point when i saw you know this concept of monetizing a podcast or like even just covering your costs i'm like oh wow that'd be like mm -hmm. amazing right how good would that be or what if I could hire someone to, you know, do the audio editing so I don't have to wake up at three in the morning so I don't wake up the kids and, you know, play with all the tools and, and watch YouTube videos to work out how to learn how to do them. But um, I think it just step by step, uh, you know, we, we started filling needs and, and, and building the thing and it just continued to grow and grow and, and like these things do. When you look back at it, you're like, oh, well, that, uh, that, that evolved quickly. At the yeah. time, it was just solving for problems that were at hand. Yeah, everybody in the startup world is a 10-year overnight success, right? Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just like you, three-year, four-year, five-year overnight success. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the idea that the market that you're in is, is similar but different to what you were seeing elsewhere. You were seeing other great podcasts, other great health tech content, but you were like, I'm in this Australian market um, mm. and, and I want to do something for my ecosystem. So talk to me about the Australian market. Sure thing. Uh, so the Australian healthcare market, I say similar to a lot of other Western healthcare systems where you've got uh, a public healthcare system. There, there is private health insurance as well, but it's not funded by organizations. It's usually individuals who have purchased their own private health insurance for healthcare above and beyond what you get through the public system. And uh, Medicare is our public system, generally pretty good. And uh, we're, we're quite lucky in Australia to have a system like Medicare. There will always be people say that say, you know, it's it's broken or things need to be fixed. There's a lot of interesting conversations we've had on the show just about that alone. So so as well here in Australia, we're, we're close to our friends in New Zealand. I guess they're our equivalent of Canada where, you know, they do things much better, but we like to take the credit for everything New Zealand does. But, uh, you know, sometimes they're just considered a state of Australia. So understanding New Zealand's <laughs> perspective, all of my New Zealand friends will really hate me when I say that. Um, but they, they and, I'll tell, and I'll tell all my Canadian friends that they, <laughs> they, <laughs> that they are to US what New Zealand is yeah. to Australia. We're going to make a lot of people upset here. Yeah, I, I, but I think it's known. People know this kind of stuff. Anyway, so um, understanding the New Zealand market as well was was uh, interesting too. But with Australia, 
I think that, uh, you know, we've, we've got much like elsewhere in the world, the similarities are, uh, growing uh, older population, increasing burden of chronic disease and a system that feels like it's burgeoning and, and, and requires kind of almost a, a circuit breaker or some other way to handle these issues because it's it's almost like death by a thousand cuts. It's the increasing costs to the system. And the difference, I think, in Australia too, at the time of doing the podcast, it's gotten a little bit better, but there's still a lot of work to be done, is I was getting really worried about Australia's... Um, desire to innovate and invest in innovation and mm. bring out some of these amazing ideas. You know, you look at all the different stats of um, research and ideas coming out of Australia. There's a lot that come out and, and we generate some of the, the the great research ideas, but in terms of executing them here in Australia, it, it, it goes offshore. It goes to Israel, the US, to Asia, to, to anywhere else, to, to uh, other markets as well, India, China. Um, so how do we try and do more of this stuff in Australia, like keep some of this great talent, much like everyone else is trying to do, not just creating some of the software and technology, but also some of our clinical people as well. Like we've, we've got some ama amazing clinicians here in Australia, but then we'll look for, for work elsewhere around the world. So all of these problems started swimming around in my mind. when we put Yeah. You know, I, I want to hear about some of your favorite guests because it'll kind of be a window into the themes and the companies that you're excited about and and really kind of what's bubbling to the surface. A lot of the interesting thing about your work and my work is that we're sort of seeing things on the bleeding edge of, of healthcare technology. And there's things that you're seeing and people you're talking to that really most people who listen to our podcast aren't going to know yet. So um, mm -hmm. you're, you're ahead of the curve. So let's start with uh, companies and technologies that you have been exploring recently that you're particularly excited about. Sure thing. And it's always hard when you think oh, of the 230 something guests and all the right. summits that we've done, what's right. your, you know, what, what's your favorite child? And uh, I, I think in a general sense, in terms of the, like you said, the technologies and the, and the themes or the organizations coming through in the last couple of years, particularly, hearing some of the innovative utilization of virtual intelli uh, virtual reality and artificial intelligence. So, so virtual reality uh, in the context of uh, helping with medical education and the challenges around that. So some of the early clinicians coming through uh, and, and seeing some of that technology really develop quickly to be more than just novel, but actually solve for, for real problems. Mm. And then, you know, and, and you think here in Australia as well, you know, we, we've got a very large, ge like geographically, it's a very large country, mm -hmm. um, but we're all kind of spread out on the outside because it's too hot to live in the middle, right? Yeah. So that means that the, where th this whole need for telehealth and virtual care has existed yeah. long before COVID in Australia and, and it does elsewhere in the world, but particularly in Australia, it's always been front of mind, but the, the, um, tech, not just the technology, but also some of the, the funding around it hasn't really existed until now. So there's also a lot of conversations on the show that I find interesting and they're pertinent to, to this industry, which relate to, um, telehealth, virtual care and utilizing some of that. Yeah, I, I do. I do know we've done stories in the past about, you know, Australia's bedrock of telemedicine and, and how, you know, uh, you've always had to deal with very remote regions. Uh, how did COVID uh, affect adoption for telemedicine in Australia? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think the line that I've heard a few times is uh, COVID didn't accelerate the adoption of telehealth in Australia, but it was the changes in funding models that did. Mm. And of course, those funding models changed because of COVID. Um, but 
the and what it was is that there's all these clinicians, patients, the 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 ecosystem wanting to utilize you know this technology and these really early stage organizations creating solutions saying, well, why like this makes so much sense, adopt it. Um, but from a clinician's point of view, it's like, well, why why would I do this? I'm not getting paid, or it doesn't fit within our, our other systems. It's a standalone. How does it integrate in? So it's kind of this. Everyone knew that it, it needed to happen, but. Uh, the models didn't, I think, didn't exist. I yeah. think as soon as there was that flick over to, hey, telehealth is funded under Medicare now, then there was, um, you know, that that was when obviously the, the, the big spike and increase in utilization happened. It wasn't as clean cut as that though. And there's still a lot of back and forth here in Australia as well about what that looks like. You hear a lot of the, the, the press at a high level is like, hey, telehealth is here to stay and we're funding it and it's and you know, job done almost. It feels like, and let's let's innovate. But there's all these nuances and 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 kind of tricky bits that aren't quite right, and that it, it yeah. creates a lot of challenges and, and trips people up when they're creating solutions for for perhaps utilizing that you know foundation of tech um, telehealth yeah. in Australia. Then they might find that well, that telehealth consultation might not be covered because this patient needs to have seen this doctor in the last twelve months to in order you know for them to do telehealth. So yeah. that mo- kind of breaks the model. So there's all these little things you're like, oh, we're so close, but let's just keep going. You know, that's the the big challenge. Yeah, I feel like we're seeing a bit of that right now in the public markets in the U.S. Just a few days ago, there were headlines about Teladoc, the big company, telemedicine mm. company. Their stock being down, their valuation, the value being down like forty percent in a day, just like mm. really a, a big backswing from what you could see as sort of a an exuberance during COVID towards telemedicine, and you have to wonder kind of like how far back is it overswinging, but kind of I feel like what I've been observing is that so rapidly the companies that were you know innovating on virtual care became just sort of the table stakes and the you know the foundation on which now sort of bigger and better innovation more innovation is going to be uh, able to build so so the things that were innovative a few years ago just instantly became just the foundation yeah, and now it's they're... like what's next v2 v3 v4 we're moving on yeah exactly and, and that's the ticket to play and then and then what do you do on top of that i on on top of that as well i think one element that um, some organizations will miss or people might not immediately think of is how important the integrations are with with all of these solutions and you know it, it can seem from a from an organization perspective to try and think about building the the poles and wires or the entire ecosystem yourself and everyone will operate on your ecosystem it's it, it, it doesn't work <laughs> or it's going to be, yeah. there are only a very small amount that will do that. But I don't think all of the problems in healthcare are going to be solved by one organization building a right. ginormous platform that everyone uses. It's how well you partner and integrate and collaborate with others that will really make the difference. How does Australia handle the, the inop- interoperability of health data? We whinge about it a lot. No, but the, <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's something that uh, is is discussed a lot within the podcast at events and and also I, I'm one of the things I do I'm a director of the Medical Software Industry Association so um, you know engaging a lot with the medical software vendors in Australia and trying to you know engage with the government the Australian Digital Health Agency the health department about you know how some of this data needs to move around and in general practice for example there's some crazy things you look at how the whole thing is structured and there's no way for it to all connect to each other and get anything meaningful out of it our secure messaging the way that results and tests and things fly around is 
um, is is broken and there's been a lot of talk but not a great deal of action about you know trying to fix some of that and that's why everyone still leans on fax machines there's communications platforms which are really cool us. it's not yeah, just yeah, the yeah. US it still uses fax <laughs> oh, machines man it's let, let's let's not get into the faxes but the i think that and 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 it's out of need because there's it's not that the technology doesn't exist it's it's that the infrastructure is not there and it's not supported to be able to do something um uh, you know better which is which is you know a sad indictment but that's that's where we are so i think you know the the fact that gps so primary care physicians want you know one system that's easy to use they don't want to have to think about the technology but at the same time they want to be able to specialize in skin cancer medicine or women's health or nutrition and there are platforms to do this now and really cool technology to do it and there's and i love it when you see early stage startups or organizations really going deep into that little you know fragment of it but as soon as those organizations who've built this really cool tool try to then connect with the bigger practice management system so not even big hospital emrs just you know your gp practice management systems in australia there's, I feel like we're still at these really early stages with the partnership programs and the integrations. It would be lovely if it was like Zapier or something where you could, you know, turn on this API speaks to this API. Don't send this patient data, but send this demographic information, click and away you go and the clinic does it and the vendors don't hear about it. But it's so far from that. And I think that that slows a lot of us down. Yeah. Let's shift gears for a minute and let's talk more directly to the startup health audience. We work with startups from 28 different countries, uh, a couple in Australia, but really um, a, a lot from the United States, Latin America, Europe, some from Africa, Asia, and um, many of them might be interested in breaking into the Australian market. So let's talk to them directly about kind of the opportunities there and some of the strategies for you know, understanding the uniqueness of the opportunity. Amazing. Look, and I, and I come from my perspective where I one of the roles that I had prior to doing Talking Health Tech was um, became general manager, first person on the ground here in Australia for an organisation out of Vancouver that okay. was creating technology to make do, uh, to making technology to help doctors diagnose skin cancer using artificial intelligence. And a good example, kind of to talk through, where great technology, amazing research and development head office was in is in Vancouver, and the organisation still going really well, um, but solving for a problem of skin cancer you really need a presence in Australia and New Zealand. We've got the highest proportion of skin cancer in the world. So um, it was, you know, going through that process and reflecting on it, Australia seems like the ideal kind of place to demonstrate a product and then scale it out to the rest of the world because it's in this funny side. We've got 25 million something people within the within the country. Mm-hmm. We have a good healthcare system overall. We've got, you know, the public-private payer type thing that I mentioned earlier. And we've got, you know, increasingly uh, uh, multicultural and, and it's kind of representative of some of the, the the challenges within healthcare generally. So you think, hey, look, demonstrate a product in Australia and then scale it out to other parts of the world. However, you know, there's, whilst the technology might be applicable in other parts, you know, even something like skin cancer, the way that we do skin checks in Australia is very different to other parts of the world because we've got so much skin cancer you know, the primary care physicians are the ones using the dermatoscopes and doing the skin checks and everything. The GPs are the ones doing that because we don't have that many dermatologists, whereas in other parts of the world, you go straight to the derm. So I think my advice to anyone looking to break into Australia is it's a great place to do that. I think a great place to partner and to understand the market and get immersed. There are a lot of opportunities for organizations from outside of Australia to partner and connect in because I know there are a lot of organizations within Australia looking to do the other thing and go the other way. Sure. 
increasingly global. I think that there's great opportunity there. I, I think it's a hard slog if you're picturing coming into Australia and say becoming the biggest and best practice management system for all GPs because that's a crowded market and that's a yeah. tough gig. And for those in Australia, just doing that, uh, it, it generally isn't received very well for organizations that kind of just fly in and go, hey, who are these guys? Oh, well, yeah. they're very big overseas. They must be good here. Um, I think there's been plenty of good examples of organizations from outside you know, helping out, understanding the, the area they're in and partnering with an organization that has a very big middle bit of the Venn diagram to work with to be able to then solve problems and do something together that they couldn't have done on their own. So my advice generally is partner. Look to my yeah, yeah. Okay. So how do you find those partners? If you're a small, mid-sized startup, you've had your success, whether it's in the US or Canada, how do you go about getting your people on the ground? Yeah, sure. Look, I think there's there's plenty of resources out there and that would be my opportunity to do a cheap plug for Talking Health Tech, I guess. But, you know, the Talking Health Tech website, that's that's where we've become this kind of place to um, understand the the Australian health tech market. We, we did a, a survey of um, our listeners and we do that each year and there's one coming up actually. Uh, and to really understand why people listen to the Talking Health Tech podcast or check out our website with directory listings and other bits and pieces is, is for awareness and understanding the industry. And it's not just people wanting to break in, but also the CIOs, CTOs in hospitals. It's the healthcare providers. It's, you know, the digital health strategists trying to understand. So I think do, you know, network, understand the, the space and connect through some of those platforms like Talking Health Tech. If you're at that next stage and you're trying to break in, I would definitely rec recommend becoming a member of the Medical Software Industry Association. I mentioned I'm a board member, but there's no remuneration or anything. There. It, it's I'm, I'm, I've been a member of the MSIA for years and any organization who is creating software in Australia who's serious about doing that, it becomes a member of the MSIA. That's where um, I guess the, the Australian government or anyone that's making policy decisions will refer to when they're looking to speak to the medical software industry. Um, and there are other uh, cool communities as well, like the Australasian Institute of Digital Health, who do a great job at engaging with, uh, you know, the hospital CTOs and CIOs bringing together and very focused on the health informatics and the data and how all that flies around too. So yeah. lots of resources there that I'm sure we can chuck in the show notes. In terms of a team, whether it's US, Europe, trying to build a, a global team and thinking about maybe even creating an offshore dev team, what are some of the advantage of, uh, advantages of teaming up with uh, a partner in Australia with their access to you know, Asian markets? Yeah, so time zone is always a challenge sometimes, isn't it? Like it's, uh, I'm doing this recording uh, at 6am, at for example, here in Australia, which I is I probably... At, at, a, at a comfortable time for you, but you know, you get used to it on this side of the world, I guess. But uh, the, I think time zone and having that, you could set up in Australia and depending where you are on the other side of the world, you could probably have close to 24 seven coverage if that was of interest or importance to your organization. I think having like, um, having a local support person here in Australia to support, you know, customers here is really important. And that's something we did in my, in my example with Meta Optima is establish a local support team. They don't need to have access to all of the data and all the back end of the system because then you create all these issues around data security and privacy. But to be able to have someone locally on the ground that if they needed to, not that you would, but if you needed to, you could go to the clinic and kind of help out and and connect things. Um, sometimes you do actually, sometimes you just have to go out there and, and stand next to a clinician right. to help them through using software. But the having someone locally is really important just for that peace of mind. I think that by 
uh, knowing that someone is local, it can provide trust and, and shows that you've got skin in the game, essentially, of like, hey, we're serious about this market and, and let's get involved. And that's good general advice for anyone building a global team anywhere in the world to, mm. to, to make that investment. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, I did an interview with a founder in New York who had a dev team in Poland and in Ukraine. And when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, he, he flew to Poland and he, he drove to his team and, you know, he was kind of courageous about it. And I sort of asked him about, um, you know, how he got to that point. And what it turned out is that he had spent a year in Poland building the team and making them into his team and understanding them and kind of the challenges that they had uh, faced. And it, it stood to me as a real stark contrast against folks who um, they think of an offshore dev team as um, just, a, just a list of names on a, you know, on a Zoom call. And yeah. they, they think they can just find them on a, you know, a freelance marketplace and just kind of outsource it and not really think about, okay, am I present in that place? You know, mm. my, t- my team is in Australia or it's in Poland and so am I, you know, I have actually um, skin in that game, like you said. Yeah. And I think as well, depending on where that, t- how, f- how deep that team is involved in creating, whether it's the product or the content or the solution, you know, determines then how involved and, and present you are with all of them. You know, all of us over the last couple of years, it's been, you know, a, a bit of a different game in terms of doing things virtually. And there's a lot that you can, you know, do in terms of engaging with teams, you know, and from talking health tech side of things, we're a remote team as well. And that's, that's important. So I'm, I'm all for remote teams and doing things virtually. But sometimes, particularly from a customer's point of view, when you've got a, a product or a solution, uh, having a local support team, it's worth the investment and uh, it's something that, that pays dividends over the long period of time. Since I have you on the call and I'm typically interviewing CEOs and founders uh, who maybe are coming from like the health system side and you're a content expert, I want to talk to you a little bit about you know, how we tell our stories. You've interviewed more than 200 uh, folks for your podcast. And, you know, I'm always trying to help the founders in our portfolio to uh, really connect with folks with the, the way that they tell their story. So I don't know, what are some things you've learned about, you know, the strategies around storytelling, how to effectively communicate your journey as a founder? Thank you. Content expert. I love that. That's not how I've, I've kind of just out of necessities. So I appreciate that. But it's, it is it is remarkably important that storytelling behind, um, you know, what you do. And I've had this conversations, I've had this conversation with uh, early stage startup founders, but right through to, you know, marketing or comms or, um, you know, PR people from very, very big organizations and everyone has the same kind of challenge of having resonance or connection with the people that they're trying to speak to. And from a very big organization's perspective, you think, hey, they got budget. They could, you know, tie up a very big thing at a um, at an event that uh. kind of spins <laughs> and presents people. Surely that's going to create engagement. Um, you, you look at the investment of some of these events, it's ridiculous, right? Yeah, but anyway, that's wild. that's probably a separate thing. But the, uh, you know, but from an early stage, you know, founder's perspective, they're like, well, you know, maybe I'll create a white paper or we could do a webinar or something like there's so many options available to you. Where do you start in kind of putting some of this together? And I think the reason why I've liked podcasting and I've stuck with it and I'm a big believer that, uh, it, you know, everyone needs a podcast at some point uh, in their journey because it's such a great way to have a human conversation because 
all the white papers, even all the presentations and the, the trade shows, they're all important and we should continue to do those. But to be able to have a human conversation like we're doing now and have people literally be in the ear of people who are interested and subscribe and want to come back every week to hear what you have to say, not because you're trying to flog something or sell something, but because it's genuinely uh, of interest and it covers multiple different areas and they get to understand you a bit more. It's super powerful. And I don't know another platform that, that does something like that. So I think podcasting should play a really important role in everyone's kind of content strategy, uh, whether you're a something like Talking Health Tech or, you know, an aggregator, but also for any vendors that are creating solutions and you think, hey, you know, is it worth investing the time and effort in doing a podcast? I would I would say it definitely is. And that's what we're doing, actually, with as Talking Health Tech with a few organizations now, right through from the very big ones down to the small ones, helping enable them to be able to do their own podcast, which is another kind of journey that I'm going on, which is super fascinating, but it has a lot of cut through. Yeah. When somebody is describing their company to you, a, a startup founder, and telling you about their journey, you know, do you do you really want to hear the emotional appeal, appeal why they are passionate about it? And maybe this is this will sound like a rhetorical question, uh, or do you feel like it's better to to just jump right in there with the product market fit, understanding the the product and why it's going to work, or do you want that that emotional plea? Yeah, interesting. I like, and you look at the length of the Talking Health Tech podcast episodes that we do. Typically, they don't go over thirty minutes. They're, so some people think they're pretty short and sharp. I like to say they're the length of a commute. Is my uh, is my 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 goal. So the conversations with the uh, with the guests, whether they're a startup founder, sometimes we just get straight into it. It's like, hey, tell us about your thing. Uh, you know, I, I usually start with, um, uh, tell us about the organization what it is, who it's for, and what problem does it solve. And I think going through that lens short, like, you know, from the outset is usually a good scene setter. Um, I think it is important for people to understand the why and, you know, understanding people's journey. And there are different ways to be able to communicate that. A founder journey sets a lot of context and, and helps make that human connection. But I know that the podcast episodes and the content generally that, um, that people are really interested in is understanding uh, and and witnessing who's done it already. So the mm. implementations, the executions, the having that confidence because the the visionary side is important. But what really impresses people is seeing the track record, and the, you know that's why you have testimonies on your website. That's why you have yeah. you know here's a case study. But that makes for a great podcast episode. For example, that's the lens I'm coming through at the moment, where it's great to have on say you know a chief nursing information officer from a hospital and the vendor, and they talk through together about how implementing this solution you know, solve for problems, the challenges they had beforehand, and also the challenges they had in the implementation and the execution. Because I think it's by by ignoring any of those, you're kind of not really creating this this true story. And people kind of read through that. People know that not, not every implementation is perfect and you need to pivot and change. And that's the journey that we're all on. So I think having a real sometimes even vulnerable conversation creates a lot of trust. You do it in a, in a way that you're comfortable with. So you don't need to share information you're not comfortable yeah. with and, uh, or that would detriment the organization, but they're, they're just thinking about what is, what can be shared a little bit more that can differentiate, you know, the organization or that person, um, rather than being the vanilla party line of you know, improving patient outcomes or reducing healthcare costs. Right. Right. Anything <laughs> specific that you do to try to engender that kind of vulnerability? That's, it's not easy on a podcast no well i usually when i so specifically when i when i record podcast episodes we usually block out 
probably twice as much time as we actually use to record. And I spent a lot of time chatting with the guest prior and just trying to understand the the journey that will go on in that conversation. You want to kind of not go overboard in terms of going through each question, because sometimes when you've asked someone something the first time and they go, oh, you said that really well. And then yeah. you go to record it and you're like, and they say, oh, as I said before, and it's like, you didn't say it before we weren't recording. <laughs> so I think there's that finding that balance and building that, that trust. I think whatever you want to see from the person, usually then if you're espousing that same thing, then people yeah. kind of mirror and, and will come from it there. You know, I always go in, I think as well, um, a couple of times I've been referred to as the nice guy within the industry. And for a while, I wasn't quite sure what that meant. But, you know, when you look at specifically media and comms and uh, I guess within the the digital health industry, there's a lot of press that will, you know, try and find the hot scoop or like, oh, let's catch this person out and see what they what they did wrong. And then we'll expose it. You know, within health tech in Australia, that's a pretty niche, you know, place to operate. And there's a few places that do that well and they can continue to do that. And that makes for fun reading. But from my I genuinely want to chat with a founder or even, you know, the Australian Digital Health Agency or CSIRO or, you know, organizations that are very big and just speak through some of those challenges that people, you know, yeah. will whinge about or will be be frustrated at. It's like, well, let's talk through it. Like, you know, we're humans in this podcast right now. And that usually creates a bit more trust that, that can be built on. It's very top of funnel because then it doesn't, you know, the, the call to action is maybe just check out some more content that that person does but that that really hearing those stories it sticks with you that's how you remember things so um yeah super valuable i love that you dropped whinge twice i was hoping i'd get a little australia uh, australianisms (laughs) in in the conversation to to take home with me (laughs) i'm sure i chucked in a lot of chucked in there you go there's there's another one chucked in some whinges you chucked in some whinges heaps of whinges yeah (laughs) well peter that's the time that we have um i appreciate you getting up so early i see you got your coffee uh, yep. appropriate for a 6 a.m. podcast. Uh, next time we'll do it uh, in my morning. We'll, we'll swap it. Yeah. Um, and I think Amazing. I, I think I heard you say that you have, have children. So may, maybe they were going to get you up anyway. They, they were already up. So that's, uh, okay. yeah, <laughs> that's, that's good. Love it. Uh, I was going to say uh, excited for your event on May 12th. I hope it, hope it goes amazingly well. And uh, we can't wait to hear what you work on next. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time, Logan. All right. Take care and be well. You too. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 380 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund in collaboration with AngelList, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.